Katie Green, a graduate of Owensboro High School, has been living in Austin, Texas for a few years now. There she serves as the artistic director for an experimental theater company called Twin Alchemy Collective. While in town to visit family for the holidays, she dropped by to talk with us about growing up in this region, how that influenced her incredibly unique plays, and how she's currently developing one of those plays into a video game. Talk to us first about where you grew up and when you first got the acting bug and just the general background. Sure, yeah. I grew up in Calhoun, which if you haven't been there, there's um, one stoplight in our entire county, which was installed whenever I was like nine years old. Um, So it's a very, very small town. My dad is a farmer and I would go out to the woods um, a lot near near the farms and play in them and, um, you know, really love that part of my childhood and I think that kind of play has later sort of informed um my art making practice um yeah I'm from Muhlenberg County so I'm, I'm with you on that it was a common childhood activity of mine to just go out and explore in the woods found we found old graveyards and old cabins and things like that and it's fun to go back there and just I don't know play army and things like oh, that yeah totally I mean I wish that I knew more about urban exploring whenever I was really young mm-hmm. uh, I think that's basically what I was doing but Pretty I mean much, it was probably yeah. like urban exploring meth labs and <laughs> not really knowing <laughs> it's just like going into like abandoned trailers right in the in the woods behind my house but um yeah, yeah I mean the good thing about doing that when you're a kid is that you can't get arrested so <laughs> right yeah pretty downside. pretty good uh, excuse yeah. <laughs> yeah i think i actually grabbed an electric fence once doing that which was a lot of fun oh, uh, God. so your schooling like when, when i know you said you explored and that was kind of uh going out and doing like play that kind of influenced you uh in performing like uh once you started going to school like when when was your actual first stage performance Sure. Um, yeah. And just to, uh, since I didn't really like ground that in any sort of concrete example, um, I um, later in, uh, in this uh, wander play that I created, which is kind of like a mixture between an alternate reality game and um, theater, uh, I used, uh, with doing some urban exploration, found uh, an abandoned zoo oh, wow. uh, in the Greenbelt in Austin. And so I used that as one of the locations um, for this wonder play that I did so that like as you moved through the uh, zoo which is now you know has been about abandoned for 50 to 60 years there's this old tiger cage that has bamboo growing through it and oh, so wow. you use your cell phone and as you approach it um, the uh, GPS like uh, triggers sound so that you hear what you would have heard 50 or 60 years ago there's narration and that's really cool so do you work with like and we'll get more into this later but just so so there's an app that goes along with your stuff or like how how does that work yeah yeah I used um this app called where I go Mm -hmm. which wasn't really um the best fit um possible I mean there there's still some bugs and it's not created quite to do this sort of thing um but it worked um it's it's like a gps it, it's like a geocache storytelling app okay cool. um but i have friends who have developed an app that does this much better okay cool we'll uh, we'll get more into that later sure, sure. Uh, um, so but to answer your questions mm-hmm. in the second grade i my teacher miss reed uh told me about missoula children's theater which mm-hmm. comes through Owensboro, the River Park Center, every year. At right. the time, it was twice a year. And so I started uh, auditioning for 
those plays, um, which are, uh, you know, two, two people, uh, theater makers will travel in this van and they'll do auditions and, um, they will, you know, cast 50 or 60 kids on Monday. And then on Friday, they will have rehearsed and produced a musical with these kids and put it on. It's incredible that they do this in such a short amount of time and they, uh, travel to small towns. Um, I mean, Owensboro has a, a, a great theater community, but, uh, at the time, being so young, I mean, this was really the only place that I could do children's theater. So that was an excellent resource for me growing up. That's great. Something we discovered in the Kentucky Room, there was a guy who used to do this. I think, if you remember the Little Rascals, Alfalfa and all the... Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. There was a guy who, I think he discovered Spanky from the Little Rascals, and he would do something similar, but with film. He would go around to different smaller towns, like places you don't necessarily associate with film, and he would get like a group of kids and put them through like an acting workshop. And then ultimately he would produce this film. It's the same script regardless of where he was at. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was like a, I forgot what it was called. I'll put it in the show notes, but it's uh, basically like a, a sort of a bank heist type situation, but with kids. And he would like put them through a boot camp, shoot the film, and then premiere it at the local theater. The local theaters put up money to help produce this, and Malco did here in town to do that. Oh, that's great. There was one shot here, there was one shot in Henderson and some other <laughs> neighboring places, but he would go all the way around the South and the Midwest. There's a website, which I'll also link to, where you can see a lot of them. Unfortunately, the Owensboro one seems to be lost to the ages. Oh. They actually gave the original print to the theater owners, and I guess Malco may have misplaced it. Or mm. that's, that's a great idea, and I actually wasn't aware of that theater group you talked about. So they still come through town? You know, I know that they did um, several years ago, at least, because I have, um, I think, second cousins once removed (laughs) (laughs) who uh, who were still doing the Missoula plays. So I I would think that this is still going on at the Park Center, but I'm not sure. I'll have to look into that. That's excellent. Uh, So one of the next things I have to talk to you about here is just creative outlets that you found uh, in the area as you were growing up. I know, uh, I think, if I remember correctly, you eventually transferred to OHS for yeah. the theater program, right? Talk yeah. A little, talk a little bit about like transitioning from Calhoun to, to the school here. Sure. Yeah. Um, it was uh, <laughs> kind of a dream, honestly. I had been working on my parents since my junior year to let me transfer. I had seen some productions that uh, Carolyn Greer had done there. I think Anatomy of Grey um, was the first thing that I'd seen, and I was just so impressed with um, the caliber of, um, the theater that they did there. And, uh, and it, um, McLean County, I mean, we didn't, we didn't have a theater production every year. I think we, we, ha- we did one in the three years that I was there. And, um, uh, Edna Bates did a, a wonderful job pulling that together and, uh, really appreciate it. But I wanted to, to do it in, a, in, um, I wanted to do it more frequently right. in a more serious more, more way. like regularity. Yeah, um, yeah. Which just, what was your first uh, performance? Was that in grade school or middle school? Or, or when did you actually do that for the first time? And what was it? Yeah, second grade. Um, it was Missoula Children's Theater. Oh, okay, so that was yeah. I'm sorry if I missed that detail. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, it was Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Okay, cool. Cool. Mm-hmm. And then, like, once you got over to OHS, what was the first one you were in there? What was the first one? Uh... Uh, it was either The Diviners, which is by the same playwright as Anatomy of Grey, or it was Steel Magnolias. Okay, cool. Yeah, but I, I was in uh, four productions that year, and there were, I think I took two 
theater classes. I I directed a play also, which I had never done. While you were in high school? Yeah. Oh, wow. And it, I was only there for one year. And um, I, we, that was the year that uh, we won um, the Southeastern Theater Conference and were invited to go. No, we didn't win the Southeastern Theater Conference. We competed there. I think we got like runner up or something. Uh, but so. we were invited to perform at the Fringe Festival in Edinburgh, Scotland. Oh, wow. In yeah. High school. It was incredible. Yeah. So, I, you know, I, I got to go on this trip abroad and perform in Scotland at the Fringe Festival. So, I mean, it was a huge uh, leap forward for me in terms right. of um, being able to pursue that. And um, just so grateful for Carolyn Greer just really integrating me into the program, sure. even though I'd only been there for one year. And um, she was um, coaching me and giving me some private lessons before I transferred and uh, she's really an invaluable resource here. That's great. Is she, is she still at the the school? She is. Okay, yeah. Cool. Was that stressful? Uh, do you remember much about that experience? Yeah, you know, and and it was. I think it was for the drama one class. So mm -hmm. I didn't direct a main stage show. It was oh, like okay. a, a thirty minute one act play. But still, um, I know that that's that's really a tough job, especially like with a lot of performance aspect. You know, anything that can go wrong will go wrong. Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. I think one actor was ad libbing lines on stage um, on purpose every <laughs> night. So that was something we had to address. Yeah. For people who aren't as familiar with theater, how does one direct? So it's been a while since I've directed um, what I would consider a traditional play. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, my process as a director in creating uh, an original play that doesn't necessarily have actors per se right. and the relationship with the audience is different. Um, is a bit different. I, I, I think um, blocking and um, doing table work or, you know, uh, really working with actors to deconstruct their characters um, is something that in, in most theater productions happens early on in the process for me mm -hmm. because I'm uh, generating a lot of new material and um, sometimes in a collaborative devised way with my ensemble we are it, it looks very different um so we are i would say for us it's like 90 percent conceptual mm -hmm. and 10 percent okay now let's do a dress rehearsal with live audience members and see if this actually works talked a little bit about this already and I, I, I don't want to look like I'm going down a laundry list of questions no, no. but I just have a few points to talk about uh, so how do you feel like the area shaped you as an artist like uh, the, the Owensboro Calhoun kind of this part of Kentucky like uh, what did you take with you from this area to Austin where you're at now you know I think in Owensboro my identity was more tied up in being a performer than it is now now I consider myself more of a uh, theater maker or I do more writing and directing uh, but um, I think what I take from Owensboro and really the, this this whole region is that I really appreciate that people talk to each other yeah. here. They're, they're like the art of conversation is not lost in Owensboro, Kentucky. Sure. People um, are very friendly and will talk to you while you're in line waiting for coffee mm -hmm. and um, 
really just about anywhere you go people make eye contact on the street mm -hmm. and as a socially anxious person <laughs> and an introvert who loves talking to people but i you know i i like them to initiate sure. conversation with me yeah. this is a godsend like and this is actually a big part of the reason why i moved to austin because i, I it's um a very similar culture there in mm -hmm. that respect but um that intimacy um and that openness and connection that i felt um from people here um, is something that i really try to explore in my work mm -hmm. um, really i would say the the main thing that i i keep coming back to in my work over and over again is how can i find new and interesting ways to connect audience members together and how can i facilitate conversations um, between people that they may not otherwise have by putting um, this sort of uh, arbitrary <laughs> structure, this world on top of it and giving people rules, um, et cetera, so that there's a kind of permission that they have to interact with each other in new and interesting ways okay. that yeah. they may not. That's interesting. And that I've lived far from uh, this area too. And I understand what you're saying. I was in, uh, Washington on the coast and like nobody talked to anybody and, yeah. if, and, and if you uh, if you had a, a out-of-state license plate which I never got mine changed while I was up there uh, you were definitely looked down upon if you mm. had a, a different accent and that sort of thing it just wasn't a very friendly town one thing I skipped over and I, I did want to talk about was your college experience you went to Hanover in Indiana correct yeah okay T tell us a little bit about that and what kind of theater work you did while you were there yeah Hanover's great um, Hanover um, is there's not a BFA program, um, so there's not uh, a lot of Han Hanover. Is there are it's a great playwriting program. Um, there are several playwriting and screenwriting classes that you can take there. Um, there's only one acting course and one directing course. Oh, I was wow. a theater and English major there, um, but uh, in terms of getting a lot of uh, highly specialized training or, you know, learning about this particular acting technique or um, physical theater, kind of um, getting a well-rounded experiential education. That's less what they do, but what you get in exchange is you get kind of free reign to do whatever you want sure. if you take the initiative to do it. So, um, you know, I, I had a lot of opportunities to perform and, um, uh, for my senior thesis um, because um, it's a small program. It was just myself and my college boyfriend. We were the only theater majors. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> is it a smaller school? I've been through that area, but I've never been to the school. It is, yeah. yeah. It's only a 1,000 students oh, wow. total. Um, cool. Yeah. Um, so I was able to write, direct, produce, design, and act in um, my senior thesis, and they you know, put it up main stage. And, and oh, wow. my boyfriend did the at the time did the same thing and so we had this kind of double bill of one acts um i uh wrote a play about the poets sylvia plath and ted hughes in this sort of like existential purgatory where they're having to do divorce counseling i remember seeing the pictures from that yeah, yeah. um and he uh adapted uh george buchner's Voitzak. okay cool and um yeah so i mean that's the the beauty of hanover is that um there was so much freedom and if you do something with it, then you're supported 100% mm -hmm. by the faculty to just kind of, it's, it's your playground. But um, in terms of um, getting highly specialized training or 
um, you know, I, I did, I studied Meisner technique for two years in Austin after I graduated. So I did more of that post-college, but I got a lot of experience at Hanover. That's really cool. Was that the first play you wrote yourself that got produced? Yeah. It was just the, the two-person show, right? Two-person, and then um, there was kind of like a receptionist okay. character as well. That's really cool. And uh, so you were there for four years, or did you do your master's there, or do you have a master's yet? Or? No, I'm actually, I'm working on my master's um, in counseling okay. um, at Texas State in Austin. That probably helps a lot in theater. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, I feel like they really inform each other. I mean, there's a lot of similarities in terms of just, uh, I mean, I feel like the acting training, the, the Meisner training that I did uh, in Austin for two years, it's really just sort of based in being very present mm -hmm. with another person, um, with tapping into what you're actually feeling and being able to name what other people are feeling. So um, you're getting really good at reading people and naming behaviors and checking in with yourself. So, yeah. I mean, these skills just naturally carry over into um, a counseling yeah, setting. I, I can definitely see that for sure. Uh, and you went to the Eugene O'Neill School, right? Yeah. And that was while you were at Hanover, right? You did a semester I there? Went, I went my junior year, yeah. It was a 10-week summer program, and um, that was an incredible incredibly formative experience for me uh it was the most intense probably the most intense experience that i've had yeah. it's it's the most tired i've been it was something <laughs> like um eight or ten hours of class a day and like capoeira and so we're all like, you did capoeira we did capoeira wow. and we were physically exhausted and then we would you know we were so lucky we would see the plays that had been selected as the as the um, finalist for the National Playwrights Conference and the National Musical Theater Conference. Oh, so cool. after eight or ten hours of class, then we would go and um, we would see um, this wonderful, you know, new work that's kind of up and coming before uh, a lot of other people see it once being workshopped there. And um, then we were also writing and directing and performing in a new play for this these people oh, wow. <laughs> every every week um so it, we would rehearse until um one or two in the morning and get five hours of sleep and um yikes that was yeah. in new york right um it was in connecticut, connecticut. actually okay I was yeah. in new york for some reason that's cool that had to be a really cool experience for those who don't know like tell the listeners who eugene o'neill is sure yeah so um a couple of eugene o'neill's most famous plays would be uh, Long Day's Journey Into Night um, and The Hairy Ape, um, wrote some others as well. And he was kind of a contemporary of Tennessee Williams, yeah. like a kind of um, great American mid-century uh, family drama playwright. Right. Okay, cool. So now that we've got the college experience, let's... Uh, go back to Austin when you first went down there like did you have a gig lined up uh, as far as like I don't know just a day job or whatever did you like go did you move down there specifically for theater stuff or or like were you doing a school thing or just kind of what inspired that, that sure movie? yeah um, <laughs> it was sort of uh, it was kind of spontaneous um, it was honestly uh, probably a bit impulsive but I had to go somewhere after college right. and I just I had a good feeling about Austin, yeah. the research that I did. I think I was kind of like 
projecting a lot of what I heard onto and and had this sort of idea of right. what I it thought seems Austin like a, was. a great hub for like performing arts in general, be it music, acting, theater acting, movie acting, whatever. Oh yeah, it certainly is. And I and I I took a trip down there with my um, college boyfriend and a couple of our friends for spring break, and um, the Fusebox Festival was was going on at the time, oh, cool. and that's um like one of the largest experimental arts festivals in the in the country sure. and so i saw this um incredible production uh by rubber repertory there that was um uh called the biography of physical sensation and just to kind of keep this short it was um they interviewed one woman and uh, read all of her journal entries and then based on sort of the most intense experiences of her life they they broke them down into just the physical sensations and then they recreated these physical sensations on 30 audience members oh, with wow. no context whatsoever huh. <laughs> wow. it was just um that's really cool let's recreate an experience of uh, what it feels like to fall off a horse right um or uh let's create an experience of what it feels like to um I don't know. Some of them were milder. It was, uh, but it, it was incredible. It was unlike any theater that I'd ever done. Sure. It was so exhilarating. And I thought, um, this is what all theater in Austin is like. It's yeah. very naive. Right. Um, that was not the case. Um, but Austin is a community that supports that kind of work. Um, and later, um, that kind of work is what I gravitated towards. And I feel supported in sure. Austin in doing that. But I didn't. Uh, I didn't have a, a job lined up. I, I knew I had been accepted into um, this two-year acting program where I was studying Meisner technique. But uh, I luckily found a job um, pretty early on at this um, kind of uh, world renowned sushi restaurant uh, it was a really too. toxic environment it was a horrible fit yeah. for me it was terrible but um it was a job and sure. um it sustained me um until i found something else that was yeah. a better fit yeah jobs like that are a little easier to swallow when you got good extracurricular things going on yeah. after hours i know I've, I've had plenty of bad gigs it can really drain you but if, if you if you're tenacious enough it really pays off in the end for sure now I know you, the theater company you run now is Twin Alchemy, right? Yes. And when did that come into the picture? Was that already one that existed or did you launch it? No, you know, I moved to Austin primarily to perform. Um, and I, I, at the time that was really my, my, my major, um, artistic identity, but later I became, uh, I mean, I had already written and directed something at Hanover, and um, so I had some experience, but I, I started to become more interested in the um, sort of theater creation side of things, and I wanted to do a, a very specific kind of theater that there wasn't a whole lot of that happening mm -hmm. in Austin, and so uh, it was several years after well, two years after I moved to Austin, whenever I started to self-produce sure. uh, theater for the was, first time. Uh, Little Mother, was that the first one you did down there? Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. talk a bit about that one. Sure. Um, so that was, I, I describe it as a silent film for the stage. Um, <laughs> it was, so there were live actors and there was a live chamber ensemble uh, with a, an within an original score and um, shadow puppet projections that 
um, were all stop motion and I mm-hmm. created those and um, title cards, like old fashioned title cards projected on screen like a silent film. So it's like coming to the theater to watch a silent film with live actors. Yeah, I love stuff like that. I don't know if you were around for the Mystery Writers Festival when they did the radio shows on stage. Any any kind of like production that's odd, I guess, like mm-hmm. that I like when, when you put more into that brand upon the brain. You remember that? Oh, yeah, I, love that I never film. got a yeah. chance to see it, but you know, it's like a live score and, yeah. and, and Foley art. I, I think that stuff is great. So um, you did Little Mother and that was like a step, I guess, in to the experimental stuff that you mm-hmm. ended up doing. Was there a play after that before you started getting into Wonder Plays? There was, yeah. Um, so the play after that uh, was called The Society for Hard Determinists. And uh, that really started as uh, I didn't know. I didn't know what exactly I was going to create. I was, I was, I knew that I wanted to simulate a cult induction experience <laughs> for um, about 30 audience members uh. um, and to make it something um, to, to kind of see if it was possible to convince someone that uh, an idea was real. Um, and so I was kind of trying to create a, a, a non-destructive sure. cult experience. The Society for Hard Determinists is still waiting to receive its nonprofit status from the state of Texas after nearly six years. In the meantime, we depend on the support of members like you to participate in a bi-monthly blood typing. Members with type O blood only have to participate once a month since their blood is superior and therefore worth more on Silk Road. Dry cleaning's expensive. Give us your blood. Give us your blood. Give us your blood. Give us your blood. We need it more than you. You know, I was kind of thinking of like, what what kind of cult is this going to be? And I was researching a lot of cults and that was really fun research. Um, and I was playing with this idea of what is it possible to convince people that they have no free will mm-hmm. um that'd be so crazy and <laughs> and so i i started researching um um free will and ran across um hard determinism um the philosophy which i i hadn't been familiar with before and the more i started reading and learning about it i kind of <laughs> I kind of convert it myself (laughs) Um, and it's like oh okay um, I believe that I have no free will Um, but it I mean it depends on how you think about I won't launch into this whole like digression about um, hard to term basically I mean everything is um, the idea that everything is causally determined um, that something happened because something else happened before that and something else happened before that Um, not that um you know, there's some sort of like fatalistic, um, you know, whatever I can stay in bed all day and still die of a car wreck. Like that's, that, that's not how that works. But, um, yeah, so, but in a, in a very play, that's such a scary idea. Um, and it, it, I think for a lot of people and puts them on the defense and it's very, it feels very foreign. So then I wanted to kind of like, um, subvert that and try to make it as feel good and seductive as possible so how can i make the idea of free will um touchy-feely sure um and 
So um, started incorporating some guided meditation and trying to use the idea of um, there is no free will as a way to kind of heal people. And I mean, but also, I mean, it's it's absurdist too. I mean, it's it's like a comedy mm-hmm. um, that we're playing straight. Um, sure. So we people enter and they're they're given their hooded robes and their neutral masks <laughs> and then they're greeted with like a a warm like welcome home and <laughs> led into a dark hallway where they listen to terrible music and <laughs> a kind of like a pre-recorded infomercial um, about the Society for Hard Determinists um, mm-hmm. while they hold hands and wait for everyone to join them and the induction ceremony begins. I, I know uh, your stuff kind of incorporates unique video. Do you produce these videos yourself, The like the unique content? I know... Um, Sean, right? He did the music for yeah. the other one. Uh, I don't. Um, this um, great um, artist and multimedia artist, videographer, Bill Baird, um, who's stationed out in uh, Oakland, California, I believe. Um, I work with him, mm-hmm. and he's he's done um, the videos for both the shift and for uh, the Society for Hard Determinists. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Do you just like network on websites and so? How do how do you find the people that you bring into your fold at Twin Alchemy? Uh, well, with Bill, I saw some of his work, um, uh, at the Museum of Human Achievement, which is the venue that I often use to Mm -hmm. produce theater in, uh, and it it was just sort of this kind of, like, absurdist play on corporate culture, and, um, Mm -hmm. was great was like exact it is it's a very unique aesthetic and i was like oh you already do exactly the thing that sure. i want want someone to do mm-hmm. so um i'll just let you do what you do well that's great um but uh in terms of finding other collaborators it's a lot of um i've met a lot of i don't really hold auditions anymore it's mostly just uh interacting and coming across these uh different performers performers it's mostly coming cr- across different performers and artists in town whom I have trained with mm-hmm. um, in a physical theater setting or um, professional setting or, you know, I've we've been peers um, and I've seen, like, I know what they feel like to work with. Sure. And then, so I, I pull in people that I feel good working that's, with yeah that's, that's really i think uh, the best way because people get so nervous with auditions and stuff if you like work with them in a setting like that or like if it's just somebody you know that's enthusiastic about music or whatever and that's a decent musician and like getting them involved makes the project more fun yeah and also just with the nature of most of the theater that i'm producing i'm not uh casting isn't I mean, the casting is kind of important, but it's not nearly as important as it is for other plays. I mean, it's I'm looking less for specific roles or mm-hmm. actors and more people who um, can facilitate experiences and who, um, more so than facilitating them or performing them, um, can bring a lot of great ideas to the table sure. and can really um, can really play well sure like let's uh, get into the wonder play stuff so define that and tell us about like what led you to that sure yeah i use the term wander play to describe um what i think is kind of a mixture of an alternate reality game and 
a point and click video game and a scavenger hunt yeah, and I'll, theater rolled into one. Yeah, I know we touched on it a little bit earlier, but just uh, I wanted to expand on that a little bit. I, I think it's an awesome idea, and I know uh, Sleep No More and the whole walk through a theater performance rather yeah, than immersive theater. Yeah, immersive theater. Tell us about the first one and what inspired you. Was it just a love of adventure games, or did you hear about yeah. the Sleep No More sort of stuff? Yeah, there's there's only been one so far. I would love to do more, but um, I would say that I was most inspired by um, adventure games and point and click video games and how can I how can I take the um, intimacy and agency and exploration that I feel um, in a point and click video game like uh, Gone Home or Kentucky Route Zero and make that a live experience that people can ex- um, experience on their own time sure. individually how can I make um, kind of a live action video game, um, but make it theater. Sure. Are you familiar with Majestic? The, no. I, I know I'm a little bit older than you, so uh, uh, you may have missed these. But yeah, there's one called uh, Missing Since January, Majestic. And like these are games that aren't so much ARGs, but they incorporate ARG elements. They're computer games you get on like a CD. And with Majestic, you could get basically tell them how intrusive you wanted them to be. You would get faxes, you would get emails, oh, and uh, I think you would get phone calls too. But uh, with Missing Since January, which I have played, I've never played Majestic. Uh, it's a CD-ROM and it's it comes to you and it looks like an FBI evidence box. And you open it up and it's like the serial killer has sent you this CD of puzzles to unlock and like you give them your email address so you'll start getting emails and occasionally like at like three o'clock in the morning you'll get an email from the killer and uh, it's it's super awesome and I actually pulled it out not too long ago to play it but I guess the server shut down so they yeah yeah basically you it would incorporate research so you have to go like Wikipedia or some other website some of the websites they send you to were fake some of them were real to find some sort of obscure detail to help you solve the puzzles uh it was was really awesome oh absolutely I I love that and I, I I uh, I didn't. I didn't know about those, yeah. but I, I. I think I was trying to use some of the same devices sure. to um, in in my wander play of like um, g- getting phone calls from different characters mm-hmm. or um, um, having unreliable narrators, and mm-hmm. and I I love the idea of kind of being sent on a wild goose chase, and that you can go as far down um, this conspiracy rabbit hole as you want to but Mm -hmm. if you want to kind of stay more on the straight path and it be uh, a more self-contained four-hour experience it can be but sure like you can go off and uh, research Philadelphia experiment for Uh like three hours on your own or if you want to so the plot of this one was it like a conspiracy theory sort of plot or what was it actually about I don't think we talked about that yet yeah I have um, <laughs> I have sort of a hard time talking about it or yeah, like giving an uh, elevator pitch. Oh, you don't want to like spoil it? Yeah, well, just yeah. because it's kind of like, um, I mean, there are, there are games in which, um, there's like a, there's an objective that mm-hmm. you get early on and you know exactly, you know, what you're supposed to do and the kind of the question is whether or not you'll succeed. Sure. Um, but with this, um, sort of the experience of the game is discovering the narrative mm-hmm. um so um kind of in the way that um mist works oh, um yeah. this was awesome yeah um it's okay here's what i can say i can say <laughs> that uh you as the playable 
well, okay, now I'm, I'm confusing. Game terminology, that, yeah. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'm adapting um, the Wander Play into a video game. Yeah, and game that's another thing I want right to talk about. So I'm, I'm, now I'm kind of getting um, them confused a little bit. But okay, so you, um, as uh, an audience member in this Wander Play, um, receive a uh, email uh, from a character whom named Henry Combs. Wildfire broke loose in the forest and spooked all the horses. They tore the ground, hurling themselves into the great dark yawn of Lake Ladoga. The jaws of the lake clenched around the muscular necks of the horses, leaving only their heads grotesquely suspended above the surface. They remained there all winter, baying at the sky, their eyes as milky and uncomprehending as the moon. And you don't, you don't know who this person is, but he basically sends you this twine game um and are you familiar with twine uh is that like i think is that an adventure game maker like a like or a text sort of yeah, yeah it's okay, like yeah. it's a like a a platform for non-programmers to kind of easily create um their own text-based adventure games right so there's kind of like a shorter um text-based adventure game um that kicks this off for you it's you know i, I guess w one way to think about it is kind of like a uh choose your own adventure on as a computer game um and so at the end of it if you make the right choices then you're given a phone number and um if you call um, the phone number then there's a phone line that i've set up um which is where you are kind of given all of this conspiracy information. It has to do with like Tesla. I was going to ask if it was like a, if it was an automated thing or if you're, they're really having conversations, if they have time scheduled out to call people or anything. So, it is automated so that people can just call this, just this um, hotline at any time. And you press like press one to hear more about the Philadelphia experiment or um, press two to, um, to hear more about the ghost Laurel um, and so you kind of learned through this phone line what you're supposed to do and where you're supposed to go. Okay. Um, and then you go to a physical location. Like the zoo? Is this where the zoo came into? Not yet. Okay. Yeah, the zoo came later. Um, so then um, you go to this, uh, this wonderful place in Austin called the Museum of Natural and Artificial Ephemerata, which is this mm -hmm. family-owned um, dime museum as far as locations go do you like do you go there and do like geocaching sort of stuff do you hide stuff there for them to find or yes but only in one location okay. so that's not primarily what you're doing um so like at the museum of natural and artificial ephemerata uh you are charged to kind of retrieve these um seeds mm -hmm. that um Henry Combs has asked you to gather um, and they've got them there on display. So you actually, as you're getting the tour, you have to create a diversion um, so that you can steal the seats oh, from uh, them. So um, the people, the people at the venue, they're in on it too. In so on that, it. Okay, cool. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. Like yeah. I, I love seeing partnerships like that and entities that are willing to cater to creative things like that. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. And, and, and I love uh, what they do and I want more people to see what sure. they do. And that, and so yeah, it, it helps with business for sure. Too, that's kind of like the, the Pokemon go thing that happened. Yeah, so yeah. many businesses were embracing that. Absolutely. Just kind of, um, finding different ways for people to interact with environments in new sure. ways and to either collaborate with other people, or you could just do this, 
um, with no one else, yeah. just as a singular experience, um, all your own. So the um, character of Henry Combs, I also rented a an Airstream trailer and um, had like letters from his wife in there that were handwritten and hidden and there's oh, home wow. videos and um, there was a tape recorder and um, just like a lot of clues about him and his life and uh, an alternate narrative that you're discovering uh, as you're physically handling these objects and learning more about the character. Wow, that, that is great. I assume it did pretty well for you. I think that the response um, was very positive. It's the challenge with this is that it's um, not a lot of people are doing it, so there's not really a great like a proven method to market it. Yeah, no. it's very hard to market. Yeah. It's hard to tell people what you're doing um, in like on a in a. I mean, I can tell them what I'm doing um, if I you <laughs> have ten minutes to talk right. about it. But it's hard to, to explain what I'm doing in like sure and then, uh, a poster. Yeah, it's like uh, an <laughs> elevator pitch, like you said earlier. With the game, did somebody come to you and say, "Hey, let's make this"? That's really something that I sought out. Um, I had originally conceived um, this alternate reality uh, game, Wander Play, as how can I make how how can I conceptualize theater as a video game um, and make it theater? Yeah, and that's like not not to derail, but just the average video game fan probably doesn't go to a lot of theatrical things. There's some way to kind of to shatter through that wall. And oh like, yeah, I, I can see this being huge with people like that. I would. I mean, I really feel like I'm making. I feel like I'm largely making theater for non-theater going audiences. Sure, yeah. and I think I've read you say something about that on Facebook or, or read a post or something you did about I that. Think yeah. Our, yeah. <laughs> I think our, our motto is theater for people who hate theater. Yeah, uh, that's probably what I'm thinking of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just I really like finding the nooks and crannies of someone's hometown or a place that they've been in for a long time and making them experience in a new way, to make them see yeah. their home town um with new eyes and for it to feel kind of magical and like things anything can happen yeah and that's I, that's why i love seeing these gps games like pokemon go so with the video game you just found a developer in austin and brought that pitch to them um actually it's been sort of very fly by the seat of my pants figure out what yeah. i'm doing as i'm doing it um and uh the developer programmer that I'm working with, I've never met. I've oh. found him on um, IndieDB, which is um, a board for um, people who are kind of just getting started uh, in the gaming industry. Or they've mm -hmm. gone to school or they have uh, a lot of skills, but they're still trying to get some titles under their belt. Sure. Um, so I work remotely um, with my programmer um, and game developer and I also work remotely with an animator and illustrator who is based out of Australia oh. and we have weekly Skype meetings and um, cool. yeah it, it works I, I love that um, I feel like video games are maybe one of the few mediums in which you're able to collaborate with people from all over the world and they don't have to you're not limited necessarily to um, artists in your physical location mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, so uh, where are you all at in that process now? It's still pretty early, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it's still pretty early. Um, we're hoping to release this in winter 2017. We're, we're getting closer to having um, our demo ready. Oh, um, nice. Yeah, definitely so send that to me when you get it together. Absolutely, sure. yeah. Um, we 
are working on um, our first environment. Uh, we have the walk cycles for our playable character. Mm -hmm. um, we have um, about five to ten cutscenes finished uh, right oh, now. Uh, yeah, so um, right now we're kind of really trying to... Th we're running into the difficulties of 2d art um <laughs> and there's so many great things about 2d art sure. it's um you know all of our assets are um hand painted hand drawn um so and i i, I love having a very specific um aesthetic that is very unique however <laughs> th this is difficult and or very expensive um whenever you're trying to uh, make 2D art look 3D, and there are like certainly ways around that, yeah. but we're we're experimenting like that with two them and a half right D now. thing some yeah, side yeah. scrollers do now. So what's the interface like? Uh, yeah, so it's like point and click um, with a with like a emphasis on environmental uh, puzzles mm -hmm. and storytelling. So kind of um in terms of gameplay um would feel kind of like grim fandango oh, okay. um with um more of the but with more of the agency and um deep exploration of something like gun home oh wow do you uh plan on putting a pc or are you going to do like iphones for any any platforms you're aiming for yeah we're um we are hoping for we are hoping to get steam greenlit and um then uh, release it for PC, for Mac, and uh, maybe for Linux mm -hmm. as well. Okay. Um, and also iOS and Android. So you're aiming to have that out in t winter 2017, you said? Yes, probably more realistically spring 2018. 2018, yeah. yeah. Actually, I did want to talk about the shift. Sure, yeah. The shift um, came about um, as my... So I, I knew that I wanted to do... It, it kept evolving um, <laughs> before it sort of landed on what it became. Um, it started off as um, how can we create an interactive experience, theater experience that uh, feels like a social experiment. Yeah, and this this is relate to the, the free will one you mentioned earlier. It kind of seemed like they complement each other just based on what I know about them. Yeah, it's very, um, very similar forms um, and very different content. Mm -hmm. But we, it's, it was fun because we referenced um, <laughs> the Society for Hard Determinists oh, yeah. in our play to kind of like to keep expanding that world as like they're a cult, um, stay away from them. Um, so it's and like a shared world sort of. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, the shift began as a conversation with my collaborators. Um, what we were starting off trying to do in the rehearsal process was to quantify abstract human qualities um, such as compassion um, and playfulness and design experiments um, that allowed audience members to Basically, we were trying to rank audience members <laughs> in terms of these abstract qualities sure. in, a, in an absurdist way. Hello, and welcome to The Shift Seminar. The Shift is a movement out of feeling and into action. It is a practice and commitment to improving one's community. You are here today because you've heard the call and you've dared to answer it. After an unsuccessful relaunch of The Shift in the mid-2000s, we observed the disparity between attendance for self-help seminars 
and community building seminars. So we decided to give you what you want. A community building seminar all about you. That's right. We have adapted our seminar to appeal to the broadest possible contemporary audience based on extensive market research and test groups. Our research indicates essential elements to connect with a contemporary audience include Instagram photo ops, celebrity guests, cornhole, cool swag, feats of strength, laser shows, harambe, prize raffles, online personality tests with completely arbitrary results, vision boards, prolonged eye contact, and we're going to deliver all of it to you tonight. Austin is our inaugural kickoff city on the 2016 Shift All Over the USA Tour. Your participation and feedback on tonight's activities can provide valuable insight on how to get a contemporary audience invested in their community. Today is the dawn of a new era. It's time to usher in a new world order of peace, growth, and connection. As we were creating these exercises and talking about this, um, the conversation started to shift more towards um, the problems, the problem of feeling like the state of the world um, is terrible and that you're helpless to do anything. Right. And how do we remain engaged um, with local and global issues um, without getting overwhelmed and shutting down? Like, how can we be compassionately engaged um, and not not experience compassion fatigue um and so what we started to do um was try to we created a kind of seminar uh, the conceit was that we are a traveling group of these well-meaning idealistic people um who conduct these community building seminars um all around the usa and um, we're very poorly funded and, um, mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, you know, everything is sort of like low budget and right. sad um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and um, kind of turning the idea of, you know, everyone. I mean, the self-help industry is a huge like money making machine. Sure. You've got Tony Robbins and people will pay thousands of dollars to learn how to self-actualize over a weekend. But then... Um, you know, we were imagining some sort of community building seminar and it, it, you know, being empty and like really sad and like there's like five people there. So um, kind of within this world that we had created, it was like, OK, how like let's let's do it. Let's create a seminar that's as if we are um, borrowing from the whole like self-help corporate machine right. and and um, using that for community building in yeah. sort of a gross uncomfortable way but as like a desperate like we'll we'll do anything like throw anything against the <laughs> it's wall almost like a low budget infomercial sort yeah. of yeah yeah very kind of like um <clears throat> late night tv sure. um aesthetic um and so we would have these orientation videos and um, it's like our sound design was this very sort of um, 90s um, well-meaning white people, like optimistic, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, like the cranberries and like Pat Benatar, we belong. Oh, and right. we're making, we're kind of poking fun um, at ourselves and um, 
the whole like self-help culture um at, while also very earnestly trying to get people to engage with the problems in their own communities yeah, so cool. there's like this tension between um irony and earnestness that feels very uncomfortable and i like to live there and i like to make people kind of sit there for a while (laughs) um so there's um there were process groups that we would break people into as they would do these um sort of uh they would do these exercises that were supposed to um help you develop compassion or um develop vulnerability so you know one of one of the stations uh we would have uh stacks of extremely personal questions um on written on note cards people would pair off sit across from one and one another and they would just ask each other these questions privately and if they didn't want to answer they could just say pass it was completely up to them and then afterwards two minutes of um prolonged eye contact without talking and so <laughs> uh did any of the arg stuff play into this did you get like phone calls and stuff like that that seems like something that would be right for having like an 800 number to call into or something oh yeah i mean i would have loved to have done more of that kind of but it's going to be way after the fact so we had this sort of like um we had this fake uh child star celebrity guest <laughs> speaker um who came and like gave his like testimonial i had this whole like feats of strength um power team inspired <laughs> intro i remember you talking about power yeah, team yeah. like yeah that's <laughs> i guess that's what the, that was about that was huh? that research yeah, yeah. yeah so things like breaking pasta over his leg and like throwing <laughs> it at a pan and um etc um there was a laser show and um anyway all of this to say that um at the end of his very like come to jesus um help your community uh, speech, motivational Tony Robbins style speech that he gives. Um, he passes around a collection basket and asks people to drop their vision plans inside. They're given <laughs> breakthrough journals so right. that anytime he says something that's a breakthrough, he'll yell at them to write that down. Um, but they create their vision plans of how they're actually uh, of the problem in their community and um, a way in which that they can engage with it and um, write write your name and address on the back and so he collects these and um, we're going to send p- people these six months from the <laughs> the performance day. I love how you carry stuff over like that. It's not just like a one night experience. Some of these things that's that's really cool. Like, yeah, yeah, I like playing with um, time yeah. um, so that a performance doesn't necessarily end it's just all more like it's an extension of a of a world that i've created and um able being able to kind of sustain past um productions and experiences by referencing them Mm -hmm. or kind of making allusions to them in in current productions um but yeah we're gonna send them um a mixed cd of 90s inspirational (laughs) (laughs) music and like a you know motivational um speech about being involved in your community and and their vision plan that's great that, that sounds perfect like is this so this is the latest one you've done right mm-hmm. okay what is your advice to creatives who live in small towns i would say um if an outlet for what you want to do doesn't already exist or you are waiting for you're waiting to be invited into doing something that you want to do don't make it yourself yeah. um because there are probably uh, plenty of other people or at least enough other people who are feeling similarly who would like the same thing um, and especially if you can pull 
your resources um and i mean you can be the person who makes um what you wish you could be doing so i would say just um if you don't have feel that you have the specific outlet for what you want to do make it yeah that's that's really good thanks katie for for talking to me today and thank uh, you Wes. Uh, if people want to check out what you're doing even if they can't make it to austin mm-hmm. where's, where's like a website or something they can check out yeah sure so you can check out um twinalchemy.com excellent thanks Wes. Uh-huh.